You know, our culture, when people think about heaven, have really distorted what heaven is like. We have all kinds of imagery in movies and books and uh, paintings that kind of portray heaven like this. It's a, it's a bunch of clouds with pearly gates or gold gates. And who's supposed to be at the gates? St. Peter's going to be waiting there to admit people into heaven. Or we have this view of a man walking up a stairway to heaven. You could write a song about that, I think. Stairway to heaven. And whenever they show pictures like this, it looks like such a lonely walk. I mean, there's nobody else around. It's just this lonely walk up into the clouds. You've probably seen pictures like this. Little, little babies flying around heaven in their wings and diapers. <laughs> Are there going to be diapers in heaven? I don't know. This baby would say yes. But is that really what heaven's going to be like? Um, are you going to get a harp in heaven? That's one of the views. Everyone gets a harp. I don't know where that came from because it's not in Revelation. You know, people get harps. That doesn't sound exciting to me. Does it sound exciting to you? Farsight had a great um, take on this. It says, uh, welcome to heaven. Here's your harp. Welcome to hell. Here's your accordion. (laughs) If you play the accordion, God bless you. You know, when I go on vacation to someplace I've never been to before, I like to do a little research. I'll go to TripAdvisor and pull up some websites, watch some videos of, of the sites that are there in that place. What do people like to see? What are the natural phenomena in that area? What are the historic buildings in that place? What are the tours you can take? What are the experiences you can have? Um, what's, what's the food like in that place? What do we want to make sure we eat when we go there? But I'm amazed at how many people, even in the church, say, you know, I believe in heaven, but I really can't tell you much about it. Like, really, you're going to spend thousands and thousands of years there and you have very little information about what it's going to be like? I mean, the Bible's not shy about telling us what's in heaven. Sometimes people will quote the verse from 1 Corinthians where it says, well, no eye is seen or ear is heard. Well, God's prepared for those who love him, but they forget the next verse that says, but he's revealed it to us by his spirit. He's revealed to us. He's shown us what we can anticipate to encourage us, to give us hope, to help us overcome the struggles of this life, to know that no matter how sick you are, no matter how war-torn your region is, there is a better place coming. It's not going to happen on this earth. There's darkness, there's sin, there's disappointment on this earth, but there's a better place. And so we're going to look, I mean, we're going to go through a lot of stuff today. We could spend weeks and weeks just on this topic, but I want to share with you what I think is one of the best passages in Scripture that talks about this life to come. It's found in Revelation chapter 21, the first five verses. And what you're going to see here is this is very different than the stereotypes you see in our culture. John is writing a vision that Jesus gave him. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. I mean, it's a really beautiful pictures there. But I think at the core of this is this picture of God being with people. And here's the truth that I want you to walk away. If there's one truth today, it's this. God wants you to spend forever with him in heaven. That's why Jesus came. That's why he's making this place for us. He wants you to be with him forever in heaven. So what can we expect when we get to heaven? Number one, everything will be made new. The very first thing he says was, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now, heaven can mean different things in the Bible. It can mean the place where Jesus dwells in a spiritual realm, but more often than not, it refers to the atmosphere. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. 
The heavens are the place where the birds fly, where the clouds are, where the weather takes place. Heavens and earth. And so in this new place, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. It will be beautiful, but without sin and death. It will be like the first creation, but the things that that made it bad, the things that distorted it, the things that stole people what God had given them, that, that, that limited the intimacy they could have with God, that allowed them to eat from the tree of life, all those things, sin, temptation, death, they're gone. They're not going to be part of this new creation. It is a return to a time of perfection. He says, behold, I am making all things new. New can have two different meanings. If you move to a new house, it's new to you. But the house may have been built in 1958. It's not a new house, but it's new to you. So we often say, I got a new job. I got a, a new, you know, this or that. But it's not really new. It's just new to you. But there's other things that are actually literally new. I got a new car, meaning fresh off the, 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 out of Detroit. You know, I've got a brand spanking new. Nobody's ever driven this other than the test drive. It is brand new. I've got a new phone, got new shoes. Nobody else has worn them before, you know. First experience. I think both of those are kind of combined in this new creation. It's going to be new to you and me, but it's going to be new. And here's a, here's a phrase I come back to time and time again when I think about heaven. It's similar, but better. Similar, but better. You'll see things that are very similar to life here, to existence here, but it'll be even better. Think of a house renovation. I'm thinking a lot about that these days because we've had met with an estimator this week and he talked to us about things they're going to do and when we finally get to move back in in a few months, it'll be better. It'll be same house, it'll be better. We'll have a new earth, a new heaven, a new atmosphere. It'll be better. I believe it'll have mountains. There'll be rivers. You'll see animals. It says in Second Peter that when Jesus comes again, he's going to refine the earth, the heavens and the earth with fire. It's kind of a cleansing, purging. When I was in Thailand on my very first mission trip there, we couldn't see the mountain just outside the city of Chiang Mai because the, the atmosphere was so cloudy. It was so smoky. And I said, Johnny, how come, the, how come there's so much pollution here? He said, it's not from the cars, it's from the farmers. They burn their fields a certain time of the year. They believe if they burn the fields, it puts all the nutrition back into the soil, helps the crop for the next year. Well, that's kind of this way. If you've ever been to a place where it's been burned off, where fires have ravaged through, you'll find new growth coming up. And in a sense, God says, I'm going to purge the earth, I'm going to start all over. And, and he can build very quickly. He can speak a word, and it can come into existence. But you maybe never thought of this, that even the creation, in a sense, has a, has a reaction to this anticipation. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That even nature is like, I can't wait to heaven. I can't wait till we get the new place. Because it almost feels like in the, in the new creation... Even nature won't experience pollution, decay, or death. In other words, trees won't die, which may mean they may not change colors seasonally because leaves aren't going to fall off. It it says in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, that the animals will get along with each other, that, that the lion will lay down with the lamb. Leopards with goats, cows and bears will eat side by side. Children can play by the cobra and not be hurt. No fear. Makes me think, maybe there won't be zoos in heaven because we'll just be, see animals everywhere and they won't attack us. They'll be friendly. I don't know. It sounds kind of beautiful. 
There won't be aggression there. Everything will be made new. Another thing we'll see is God's home. It's called the New Jerusalem, the holy city. In the Old Testament, Abraham was called to go to a land, a promised land, but he knew that even that land had flaws in it. That land wasn't the perfect place. And so Hebrews gives us this insight into the heart of Abraham. It says, by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaiah, Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. This city that Abraham was looking for was built by God. I believe he's talking about this new Jerusalem. We have phenomenal cities in the world. I mean, you can go to New York, Chicago, LA, and and all over the world, London, see, see beautiful cities. But every time I've gone to big cities, I've seen parts of that big city where there's ghettos, where there's, there's a lot of corruption, there's a lot of blight. It's not perfect, but this city will be perfect because God's the one who'll make it. Now, in Jerusalem, which was the capital city of Israel in the Old Testament, in Jerusalem was one specific building that was, that was a focal point. It was the temple. And people would come from all over the region to come to Jerusalem to visit the temple. Because in the temple, that's where kind of man met with God. Man worshiped God in a more intimate way. There's actually a room there called the Holy of Holies that the high priest would go into annually to make a sacrifice. So before then, there was a tabernacle, which was a, a, a tent they could take down and set up in new locations. Then the temple was built. But then when Jesus came, he, he, he built a new temple. He became the cornerstone of a new temple called the church. In fact, it says in Ephesians 2 that we are all built together. We rise up into a, a building that's indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Peter says we are like living stones. The church then becomes the temple of God. God dwells in our presence. He, he wants us to know that he is going to be living with us in this place. The city is radiant. You could go on in that 21st chapter of Revelation and see that um, it's made of precious jewels. The walls are made of pure jasper. The gates made out of one single pearl. But I can't imagine, how can you make a gate out of one pearl? Um, but it says that. Streets of pure transparent gold. And then this interesting picture, the dimensions of the city. John is told to measure the city. It's, it's just shy of 1,400 miles across, 1,400 miles long and 1,400 miles high, which is really interesting to think of a, a city that's 1,400 miles high. I can't even think of like a mile high, let alone 1,400 miles high. And whether that's literal or not, some people say, oh, absolutely, it's going to have decks or people are going to float up there. I don't know. Um, I, I think there's more, a more theological meaning behind it because when you think of it, this is a massive cube, massive cube, 1,400 by 1,400 by 1,400. Do you know in the Old Testament... There was a room in the temple called the Holy of Holies that was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, 20 cubits high, perfect cube. That's the place where God dwelt. And, and the message it seems that's conveyed through this big, massive cube is that God's presence fills all of heaven. We are actually in the Holy of Holies in the presence of God. I think that's amazing. That God invites us to be right there in his presence. It says that this place, this new Jerusalem, will be the, kind of the base of his kingdom on earth, where Jesus will reign. He will reign in a real kingdom with real people on a real earth, and all the governments will fall upon his shoulders. All nations will serve him. It says his reign will extend from sea to sea and to the ends of the earth. In Isaiah 66, it says all people will come to worship before the Lord. 
Even the promises that we read in the Old Testament, some people say, well, I think they're gonna be fulfilled in a period called the millennium. Others say, no, no, that's called, they're gonna be fulfilled in heaven. Either way, they're going to be fulfilled someday on a literal earth. Randy Elkhorn says, regardless of your millennial position, the ultimate fulfillment of a host of Old Testament prophecies will be on the new earth where the people of God will possess the land forever. So we're headed for heaven. And that's why Paul says in Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We can expect to see the new city. Here's something else we can expect, personal contact with God and Jesus. You'll have an intimate relationship with him like never before. He's close now, he's, he's very close to us right now, but it'll be visible, it'll be tangible. I think that's pretty amazing. God will be present in a more real way than we've ever experienced. Years ago, Robin Williams starred in a movie called What Dreams May Come. And in this movie, he dies, goes to a place called heaven. And it's, it's really beautiful. The cinematography in this was just amazing. Stunning colors, flowers, just rainbows of colors. It was beautiful. But this movie lacks joy because his wife dies and doesn't go there. And so he's kind of depressed. They can, I'm in this beautiful place, but I can't share it with the one I want to share it with. But you know what's even more depressing? Is you do not find in that movie Jesus anywhere. It's not heaven if, it's not, if Jesus isn't there. And I don't want to go to any place where Jesus isn't. Heaven, in its most basic definition, is in the presence of the Lord. And where he is, is heaven. We want to be with him in heaven. It says, God, God will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. It's like he said, not a, not a figment of God, not an um, image of God, not a remembrance of God, God himself God himself will be with them and we will be in his presence and he will be in our presence. Jesus said in John 14, in my father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you so that you may be where I am. To be absent from the body is to be where? In the presence of the Lord. I love Psalm 73, 25. Whom have I in heaven but you and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Now, in Revelation 22, the very next chapter, last chapter, actually, of the Bible, it says that we will see the face of God. Think about that. Revelation 22, 4, you'll see the face of God. What will that look like? What will he look like? Will it look like a human face? What will you respond like when you see God's face? Is it the face of Jesus? Will you, you can't cry because there's no tears in heaven. Will you smile? Will you bow? Will you drop your jaw? We will see. Moses didn't get to see the face of God. The apostles, I mean, they walk with Jesus, but they didn't get to see the glorified Son of God. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, there's coming a time when we shall meet face to face. How exciting is that? They have this intimate presence of the Father and the Son. Here's something else you'll see, a vast mix of people. There's a scene in Revelation 7 we're gathered before the throne of the Lamb is a mass of people. It says, after this, John writes, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. This will be the most mixed blend of people you've ever seen in your life. You'll see people dressed in their native garb. You'll see Maasai with their beads. You'll, you'll see people with pierced noses. You'll see people dressed with crowns and hats and people in blue jeans. You'll see all kinds of people because they'll bring their cultures into heaven. That's how you'll recognize the different nations, all the different skin colors, um, 
music styles, languages, all gathered together. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be, and we think that, uh, you know, if we have a bias like um, English, you know, the pri- English needs to be the priority language in heaven. <laughs> I think you're going to be surprised. It won't be. It won't be. And I don't know how we're going to communicate with all these different languages out there because there'll be Afrikaans and there'll be Egyptian and there'll be, uh, there'll be Koine Greek and, and, and there'll be, you know, uh, Native American and there'll be all kinds of different conversations taking place. Maybe it'll be like Pentecost where people spoke in different languages, but it says they heard them in their own tongue. And maybe, maybe the beauty of the various language, which God delights in, he actually caused that to happen when back in Babel. He caused it to happen. Maybe God says, I love all those different cultures. We're going to maintain the cultures. And we're going to celebrate the, the distinctions in heaven. All these different nations gathered together. But what will people look like? Again, here's my phrase. Similar, but better. Similar, but better. You will be you. You won't be someone else. You don't get to be um, the rock, unfortunately. He'll, the rock will be the rock. And I'll be me and you'll be you. You know, when I've gone back to a class reunion, you go back and you see these students you went to high school with, sometimes you've, you've not seen them at all, except here. Now, all of a sudden, 25, 40 years later, you see them at this class reunion, and you know, oh, they've, they've gotten heavy, and they've lost their hair, and they're wearing glasses now, and then you go, man, they, all these people look old. I don't, but they do, you know? <laughs> but you know, the more you talk to them, you start seeing... But I'll, I'll never forget that smile. I'll never forget that voice. I know who you are. Your body may have changed, but I know who you are. I think it'll be kind of like that. We will know each other. When Jesus rose from the dead, people didn't go, who's this new guy walking around? Don't recognize him. No, they recognized it was Jesus. He was, he was similar, but he was better. You know that it, it appears in the Gospels that Jesus could move quickly from place to place? It appears that he actually walked through walls. Man, that'd be pretty cool. Get around quickly. You know, no Uber. I'm gonna just, I'm gonna hoof it. I'm gone. You know, Jesus gives us a good example of what it's going to be like in his resurrected body. It says in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we, but we know that when he appears, when Jesus comes again, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. We will have a, a resurrected body like him. And the best description of that is found in 1 Corinthians 15. I can't read the whole section there, but here's a piece of it. Behold, Paul says, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. You will have a body that's amazing. Different than before, but it's still you. I don't know what age you'll get. I don't know if we have a voice in that. A lot of people who've had these near-death experiences seem to see people like in the mid of life at a good, healthy place. But I have to believe because of the perfection of these bodies, they'll never get old, they'll never get sick, that if you're struggling with an illness, you've got a condition, you've got, you're diabetic, you've got an autoimmune disease, you, you've got uh, something going on in your body, your, your eyesight's gone, you know, whatever it is, that's going to be healed in heaven. It's going to be the best you. I mean, if God can take a body from the ground that's been buried for years or a body that's been cremated and say, I'm going to, I'm going to make a new body out of that. I mean, but it's going to be you still. It's going to be you. People will know it's you. Um, that's an incredible thing to think about. 
We're going to recognize people in heaven. So we'll know the loved ones. We don't have to go asking names. We'll know who's who because there'll be people all over heaven. Here's something else that we'll expect in heaven, lots and lots of worship. You can't help but worship when you're in God's presence. You'll be drawn, almost compelled to want to worship him. I mean, we'll be so grateful that we're there. In, in Revelation 19, it says, I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters. It's like Niagara Falls happening. And the, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns, and let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. And people will worship him constantly. Their voices will be raised. They will, they will sing a new song, the scripture says. What about all the old songs? Well, we, we may sing the old songs, but you will be writing new songs out of your own love and, and passion for the Lord. And it says we'll sing them in a loud voice. Why? Because we are so excited to be there, so pleased with what God has done for us. There'll be worship happening constantly, but will we be singing nonstop? I don't think so. Worship will happen, but it depends on your definition of worship, how that looks. If, if worship is only singing, and it's just gonna be one endless song service, that's not what Revelation reveals to us. There's other things we do in heaven. We're not just singing all the time. That's a big part of it. But worship really is much broader than singing. It's our whole life. It's how you live. In Romans 12, it says, off your bodies as living sacrifices, which is pleasing and, and acceptable to the Lord as your most legitimate act of worship. When you offer yourself in service to the Lord, that is an act of worship. Serving God is worship. So yes, are we gonna worship God constantly? Yes. We'll sing some and we'll be serving him. That's why it says in Revelation 22, his servants will worship him. Here's one other thing you'll see, actually two other things you'll see in heaven, the river of life and the tree of life. River of life and tree of life. They're both found in the first verses of chapter 22 of Revelation. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb through the middle of the street of the city. This is another evidence that we're gonna have bodies. We're not some ghost-like spirits flying around in heaven. We actually have tangible bodies that need water, just like we do now. And that water is gonna come from the Lord. He's gonna provide it. It'll flow from the throne. He is the source of life. We will depend upon him. Water is the most basic necessity of life. You can go a lot of days without food, far less without water. Water is an essential part of our bodies. And I believe, as I said with the, the, the cube, that sometimes I believe God is sending theological messages in the descriptions that we read in Revelation about heaven. For example, this, this flow, this river of life. Do you remember back when Jesus saw the woman at the well? By the way, John, who's writing Revelation, wrote this story. John writes about this woman at the well, and she gives Jesus a cup of water from the well. And Jesus said to her, if you only knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink because I could give you living water that would quench your thirst forever. Living water. You know what living water means? It means um, water that moves. It's not stagnant, it's fresh. I would give you life-giving water. And then a couple chapters later in John, Jesus stands up at a festival and he announces that whoever believes in him, out of him, deep within his inner part, will flow streams of living water. What is that? What's he talking about? Well, the very next verse actually says, by this he was referring to the Holy Spirit whom Jesus had not yet sent. This living water 
was a reference to the Holy Spirit. Now think about this. When you look at the references to the Holy Spirit, how often it's connected to water. When did the Spirit descend upon Jesus? When he was baptized, okay? Um, we're, we're told to, to drink of the Spirit. We're told to be filled with the Spirit. God pours out his Spirit. The Spirit flows. All terms that are related to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. He's kind of likened to water. Could it be that this stream of living water, because we don't find the Holy Spirit anywhere in heaven, is this kind of like God through his spirit, even through physical water, nourishing us with his presence? When I was in San Antonio with Julie a year ago, uh, the, the main thing we wanted to see in San Antonio was the famed river walk. They rerouted the river to go right through the middle of town and they've created shops and walkways on either side of that river. It's a beautiful place to hang out, romantic, noisy in some parts, serene in other parts, but it's a a great attraction. Well, in heaven, it says this river flows down through the middle of the city. And does it wind? And are there there activities happening along the river just like they would in San Antonio? Are, Are people loving being near the river? It says that on either side of the river, There'll be the tree of life. It says in the next verse, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Well, how do you have a tree on both sides of the river? How do you do that? Many commentators believe that this is referring to a type of tree, not just one tree. That on either side of the river will be the tree of life. It'll be the, this, this kind of tree that's life-giving, that's nourishing. Its fruit will be born every single month. Its leaves have healing properties in them. That that'll be accessible to all of us. It, it, it makes me think back to the Garden of Eden where we first meet the tree of life. Because back then there were two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That second tree is not in heaven, but the first tree is. And the, and the first Eden, God walked among men. God's presence, you could hear his, you could, you could hear him moving among the, the brush. God's presence was with Adam and Eve in the garden. It's as if God says, I'm bringing it all back. We're gonna experience Eden all over again, but this time without sin, without death, without the devil, without all that other stuff, we're gonna enjoy the new creation. It says that these leaves are for the healing of the nations. It makes me wonder if, 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 if what we're seeing in the world now, how nations just constantly you could, you could go to the Middle East, you can go to Russia and Ukraine, you could go to all kinds of places where there's warring all the time. It's only through Jesus that even nations will get along with one another in the, in the next life. Because there will be nations and they will serve the Lord. So if you were to open up a brochure on heaven, these are all things that you'd probably read about. TripAdvisor would advertise, these things are in heaven. But you need to know there's some things that will not be in heaven. And I wanna quickly share with you a bunch of them that are brought up here in the Bible, there'll be no more sea. Now, is that literal? Is that literally there'll be no massive bodies of water? Where does the water flow to? I don't know. Maybe it's speaking more theologically again. Because in the Old Testament, people had this fear of the sea. It represented chaos. It represented death. It represented darkness and monsters. And, and it's almost as if God's saying, you won't have to fear in heaven. There'll be no, no mysteries, nothing to fear, no darkness. It won't be there. It says there'll be no death, no sorrow, no pain, because death has been swallowed up in victory. God will wipe away all of our tears. 
Our hearts will be filled with eternal gratitude and endless joy. There'll be no pain. No physical pain. No emotional pain. It's all going to be gone. It's all going to be gone. All going to be healed. You know what else won't be in heaven? No more Satan. No more devil. No more cronies. In fact, a couple chapters prior, he got thrown in the lake of fire along with the beast, the false prophet, and all those who followed him. You know, they're all, they're all gone. So no more temptation, no more devil whispering in your ears, no more temple. No more temple. Why? Because God's presence is in his own house. It says there'll be no sun or moon. Well, that's interesting because I kind of like the sun and moon, but he says the, the radiance of the Lord will light the city. The glory of the Lord will illuminate it. Isn't that incredible? There'll be no more sin. There'll be no, nothing unclean will ever enter that city. There'll be no sinners, no crime in that city. And then the most interesting one of all, and one that probably disturbs some people, there's no marriage. I'm telling your wife, Richard, telling your wife that one. And that wasn't a very enthusiastic amen either. It was amen. Like I shouldn't have said that. No more marriage, because Jesus says in Matthew 22, listen to this, for in the resurrection they will neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. No marriage in heaven. Well, it's not totally true. There's one marriage in heaven. The marriage of Jesus and his bride, the church. There's one marriage, and there'll be a great feast. It says in Ephesians 5, when, when Paul talks about marriage, human marriage, how we conduct our marriage and husbands, you know, love your wives like Christ loved the church. At the very end of that section, it says, hey, all this that I'm talking to you about marriage is to help you understand the mystery, the real mystery, the bigger marriage. And he says, what I'm talking about is Christ and his church. That there's an intimacy there. There's a covenant there. There's a bond here, a commitment that he has made to us as believers. You know, at first I thought, man, I... I want to be married to my wife in heaven. But you know what? It doesn't say our friendship will end. We won't be making babies in heaven. And you know what I think we'll find out? As loving, as loving as your spouse is, you may have a very good marriage, as loving as your husband is or your wife is, they, they cannot meet all your needs like Jesus can. And to be in a place in heaven where we find out Jesus is the, the one that satisfies me fully, And then I get to be there with my loved ones. Hey, I'm good. I'm good. See, it doesn't say that our, our relationships are destroyed, our families are torn apart. No, in fact, here's what I believe. I believe heaven says your relationships are expanded. We're one big Velcro family in heaven. Jesus once said, you know who my brothers and sisters are? They're everyone who does the will of God. That's my family. You're going to be with people that you've never met before, and you're going to feel this bond like, you're my brother and sister. I missed you. I missed you. You're going to open your arms wide to the body of Christ. That's why the invitation is given to us. The spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. The price has been paid. Come, come. What are you waiting for? Heaven, the doors are waiting for you. Why would you not want to go to be in God's presence forever? There was someone walking through a graveyard in Indiana, and they found a gravestone over 100 years old that said this, pause stranger when you pass me by, as you are now, so once was I, as I am now, so you will be, so prepare for death and follow me. And someone wrote 
one extra stanza. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. Mm. Jesus said, I not only know the way, I am the way, the truth and the life. You want to get there in the presence of the Father? You come with me. Follow me. Follow Jesus. That's his invitation. Come. Drink. Follow. Believe in Jesus. Surrender your life to him. And you'll walk with him here on earth, and you'll spend forever with him. <laughs>